I am your host, Jake Patterson, and I know I'm a day late, but hey, it's fine. I got a lot of stuff to talk about. So, we're going to kick it off with two things that I didn't feel deserve their own segment, but they are still worthy of talking about. This episode is coming out on a Thursday, which means tonight is the first round of the NFL Draft. Which also means, much like last year, I will be live streaming my reactions to the first round of the NFL Draft over on the YouTube channel. Uh, the main thing, the end, you won't have to wait as long to see my actual reaction to what my team does because they're picking a lot higher. And it is also going to be the... It, you also get to watch me pray Malik Willis doesn't fall to 20 and go to the Steelers. Because uh, anyone who has listened to this show... Knows both my love for Malik Willis and my hatred of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I wouldn't know what to do if he ended up in black and gold. So, uh, come for that. Stay for, uh, my reaction to whatever the Ravens end up doing at, I believe, 14. Yeah, we're, we're picking 14. At, at, uh, at number 14. And, uh... And maybe maybe a few friends will uh, will stop by as well. I have asked a few. Uh, haven't confirmed everybody yet, but I assume most of them will probably at least show up for a little bit. And uh, yeah, we'll have a good time just like we did last year uh, reacting to the draft live. Uh, that will be over on the YouTube channel and it will stay there. I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna unlist the vod after it's over. I, I'm just gonna. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it straight up as an upload because it's not really going to clog my video feed. Because it's, it's, it's one live stream that's going to go, that's going to stay public. Maybe, maybe not right away unless I might, I might unlist it after a little while once I start getting some other content out. But for now, it, that will stay a public video and go in my live stream VODs playlist. But yeah, that's that's going down. Just the first round. I'm not going to do live reactions to the other rounds. Uh, the reason why will become clear in a later segment. But yes, the NFL draft first round is tonight. Live reactions to the first round. Because, you know, the first round is the best one to do live reactions to. Because you're more likely to get guys actually there. And... The draft is at the Bellagio this year. It is the run back of the canceled 2020 draft. Uh, we get to see, uh, we get to see these massive, massive dudes getting into tiny little boats that will take them across, <laughs> take them across the artificial lake in front of the Bellagio to the stage where they will then shake hands with the commissioner and get their jersey and hat. Like, sure. <laughs> I laughed at this idea two and a half years ago. I, I am still laughing at this idea now. Because that's going to be really freaking funny. Uh, one, <laughs> I want to see Malik Willis in Las Vegas. Because just what I know of his personality, Malik Willis plus Las Vegas is not a combination I ever thought would happen. Eh, I don't know. He 
he seems like a guy who might like playing blackjack. That that also seems like a possibility that Malik Willis would enjoy would enjoy a couple hands of blackjack. Maybe maybe hit the craps table or the uh, or the slot machines. Yeah, maybe not the slot machines. He doesn't seem like a guy who is overly rely likes to overly rely on RNG like that. But yeah, live live reactions to the draft coming later tonight. If you're listening to this to listening to this on the day it came out, if not, um, well, they're still up on my YouTube channel. Go check it out. <laughs> it's weird saying that, knowing as I'm recording this, I haven't done it yet. But not everyone listens to this show the day it comes out. So uh, especially when it's a day late. But other piece of important news before we get into the NBA playoffs, Mark Emmerich is officially stepping down as the president of the NCAA in about a year. Great. He's stepping down in June of next year. So we have to deal with another year of his stupidity, but it's also going to be a lame duck year. And hopefully, uh, Hopefully some of the rumored changes I've seen on Twitter are um, are very uh, are very positive. Hopefully whoever takes over him for him won't have to constantly ask for the government's help and actually come up with some across the board standard NIL rules and maybe fix the mess that is the transfer portal. Because I get what they were going for with the transfer portal, but it has turned into free agency. It has turned into straight-up free agency. Like, letting a guy transfer for free, if... Letting a guy transfer un... Like, un... Unimpeded, like, he doesn't have to sit out for a year or anything because a coach left or got fired or any of those other things that should be standard like that. That should be a thing. I'm 100% all for that. And just the idea of, Hey, I should be able to transfer anywhere is also like, yeah, that's fine. And I saw a thing on Twitter, like the massive number of people in the transfer portal right now is also a result of, an entire recruiting class of guys who never got to meet the coaches in person or even step foot on campus because of the NCAA's absolutely batshit insane Rona restrictions. Like just, just long-term restrictions on recruits going to campus well after it was safe to do so. Like that's, that's another Mark against uh, Mark Emmerich there. But Enough enough dunking on Mark Emmerich that he's finally stepping down. I know we have to wait a year plus. It's, it's what, about 13 and a half months? I know, because he's stepping down at the end of June. That is, like, exactly 14 months. It's a long time to wait. But, sure. Let's, uh, but let's, let, let's actually get into the meat of the the first segment of this show, the NBA and the NBA playoffs. Um, 
I know now that I should not have trusted these idiots. Um, and when I say these idiots, I'm almost exclusively referring to the idiot head coach known as Glenn Rivers and the Sixers idiotic ownership. Because given how this series progressed in games one through three, there is zero reason you should lose by 15 to this Raptors team at home. There is 0 0.00 reasons you should lose to this Raptors team at home in a game five sending them home scenario. Now, you have to go back to Toronto. Uh, if, again, if you're listening to this on the day it comes out tonight to, um, to play in front of that god-awful fan base. Hopefully, I mean, the satisfaction of sending them home crying after giving them a little bit of false hope is nice, but at the same time, their false hope should have been game three. Like, game four should have honestly been where you ended this, given how game three went. Like, you should have won game three by 15. Instead... You lost game three by eight, and then you go and lose game five by 15 at home. So, yeah, um, not too happy with them right now, because if you're playing like this against the Heat or the Bucks or even the Celtics, as much as I hate to admit it, you're not winning. Like, I think if they play like they did in games one and two and eh, the the fourth quarter of game three. If you play like that, you beat the Celtics. If you play like game, the rest of game three, game four and game five, you lose to the Celtics probably in five games, maybe even a sweep given what they just did to the Nets. I know every, everyone overhyped the Nets. Everyone massively overhyped the Nets. It's like, oh, Kyrie's coming back. Kyrie's coming back. Ben Simmons is coming back. No. Kyrie, Kyrie Irving doesn't give a fuck. Ben Simmons gives even less of a fuck. Because Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant have absolutely no respect for Steve Nash. And Ben Simmons has no respect for anyone other than himself. He looked like a freaking joker on the bench like like someone tweeted a picture of it it's like you have it you have until midnight to bring me the batman like it, it was a it was a heath ledger joker quote i'm not gonna attempt to do another heath ledger joker impression because um it's a really hard impression to do and i don't want to embarrass myself further because um i'm not very good at it but it was a heath ledger joker quote and uh, it fit perfectly because this man looked like the light-skinned Joker. He really did. But the Celtics are gone. The Celtics are gone. The Nets are gone. They, they got swept by the Celtics, a much better team. Again, as much as I hate to admit that, it's true. The Celtics are a better team than the Nets. The Nets have more star power. 
who cares when that star power doesn't give a crap about basketball? Because Kevin Durant just likes arguing with people on Twitter. Kyrie Irving thinks he's God's gift to basketball, or sorry, Allah's gift to basketball. And, you know, he hasn't eaten all month other than, like, light snacking after sunset. And Ben Simmons is just a quitter who only plays basketball because it can make him a lot of money and get him a lot of women. Like, once he discovered he was good as, ba- as at basketball, that's all he cared about. Look at his track record. It goes all the way back to LSU. He never gave a crap about basketball. At LSU, he was only showing off for NBA scouts. And guess what? They missed the tournament. They were number one in the country for a good portion of that season, at least in the at least in the early goings. And then by the end, they were barely in the top 25, lost in the first round of the SEC tournament, and didn't qualify for the NCAA tournament. That's a, that's a stellar track record there, Ben. Ben uh, didn't play for his first couple years with the Sixers. Um... Did the whole raise the cat thing and everyone in the Philly fan base thought that was really cool for a little while. Then we realized the guy can't shoot threes to save his life. Uh, His only contribution to the team is his defense. Uh, And then last year during the playoffs, he got too scared to take any shots ever and had a worse free throw shooting percentage than Shaq as a guard. A 6'8 guard when Shaq is 7 feet tall and is famous for his inability to hit free throws. <sighs> mm, my God. I'm, I'm, reliving, I'm reliving some bad memories here. Uh, <laughs> but I'm glad the next out, Nets got swept. I think the Sixers will still beat the Raptors. But they're not beating the Celtics, the Heat, or the Bucks if they if they play like they have the last couple games. The first three quarters of Game Three and all of Game Four and all of Game Five, if they play anything like that against a better team, they're screwed. They are well and truly absolutely screwed. But. On to uh, more recent games. (laughs) On Tuesday night, uh, absolutely incredible game between the Timberwolves and the Grizzlies. I don't really want this series to end because every game has been pretty good. Like this has been, this has been a very competitive series. The last two games came down to one point each or came down to a combined three points. The Grizzlies won the last, the most, the Grizzlies won game six by two. They won game five by one. Or no, they lost game five by one. First three, a little less competitive. Uh, 13 points. 13 point loss. Uh, this is, that's 28 point win. Then we're getting closer. Nine point win, one point loss, two point win. The last three have all been decided by single digits. A combined 12 points among the three of them. 
That's an average of four points a game. I don't want this series to end, but at the same time, it kind of has to after what John Morant did to the Timberwolves. <laughs> that disgusting, disgusting dunk that, that I believe gave the Grizzlies the lead, which Ian Eagle so eloquently described as a jawbreaker, which, I mean, that's... That's the nickname for any time he hits any kind of clutch shot for the rest of his career now. Because that that's such a perfect name for it. And like he, he put that poor man on a poster. Who was that for the Timberwolves? I don't think it was... It wasn't Cat or... Um, it wasn't Cat or Anthony Edwards. It was... Uh, wrong team. It was, it was number five. Uh, roster. Oh, it was Beasley. It was Malik Beasley. Okay. That makes that makes more sense. Because there's no way you're doing that to... Uh, there's no way you're doing that to Cat or Anthony Edwards. But he, he, just, he just put Malik Beasley on a poster. Like, my God, that was a thunderous dunk. If you haven't seen it, go track it down. Because it's one of the it's one of the craziest things John Moran has ever done. And one of his dunks that he hit in college is part of one shining moment that Andrew Catalan also quite eloquently described as a jaw jam. Jawbreaker by Kevin Harlan is better, but it's also an NBA game. So of course it's better than uh, than his dunk in college when when only like the really hardcore fans knew who he was. Like, only people who follow, follow college basketball really closely knew who he was because he was playing at such a small school. And, like, by tournament time, more people knew who he was because the buzz started to build. But, like, at the beginning of the season, nobody knew who John Morant was. And then the college basketball fans started to realize, oh, this kid's good. Thanks, Scott Van Pelt. <laughs> and then by tournament time, everyone was like, okay, keep an eye on this guy. I know he plays for Murray State, but he's really freaking good. <laughs> And that was, and what a great call by Ian Eagle, though. Jawbreaker. And then, and then Morant does hit the winning shot as time expires off of an inbounds play that Anthony Edwards just horribly misplayed. He, he went for the hero play. He went for the steal. He went to steal the inbounds pass. He overextended, which, uh, as the guy guarding John Morant, you never want to do. Because if you overextend by even a little bit, he's going to dribble once, drive past you, and go straight to the rim. And he's fast enough that no one's going to be able to collapse in on him in time to stop him. And if anyone is fast enough, they're going to they're gonna get to the rim before him, which means he's just going to kick it out to the guy, whoever that person was guarding, just left open. Either bounce it inside to the big man who just got left open and has a clear lane to the basket, or kick it out to the wing where whoever is on the perimeter also just got left open by the guard or small forward collapsing in to try to slow him down from going to the rim. And <laughs> as was shown by what happened to Malik Beasley, he doesn't really care if you're in his way because he's just going to jump over you. 
So I think unless Anthony Edwards gets that steal and the Timberwolves win and we're having an entirely different conversation, you don't overextend. Just stay in front of him. You're not going to you're not going to completely stop him, but you can at least slow him down with time expiring. And just try not to let him drive and force him to take a bad three or something or force him to take a bad floater if he does get a, a little mini drive off. But that's what I got for the NBA. We've got got a few more games left in the first round. Uh, NHL playoffs are on the horizon. I know I have not talked about the NHL much this year, mostly because the Flyers are really freaking bad. But uh, NHL playoffs are on the horizon too, so I'll uh, we'll have some coverage of that as well. But for now, that's that's about what I've got for the NBA. Obviously, I'm recording this Wednesday afternoon, so I have not seen the Bulls, Bucks, and Nuggets Warriors games yet. But I'm working under the assumption that the Bucks and Warriors are probably going to win. Just, just feels like the right call. If I'm wrong, go ahead and make fun of me. But, hey, I, I'm just the guy. I'm just the guy talking into a microphone in a spare bedroom. But I, I think, I, I think the Bucks and Warriors do wrap up those series tonight. Don't want to get too in depth because by the time you hear this, those games will be over. But uh, those are my predictions. Come to Twitter and laugh at me if I'm wrong. I give you permission. But that's what I got for the NBA. Up next, switching gears back over to esports. Kansas City Major is this weekend. And I'm very excited for it. We'll get into that up next here on The Mashup. Welcome back to The Mashup. It's Halo time. Let's, uh... And as always, until the Halo series is done... This is probably going to be a pretty Halo... Their episodes are going to be pretty Halo heavy. Well, maybe not, because there won't be much to talk about in the way of esports again until September. But th this is going to be a very Halo heavy episode, because the the uh, recap for episode five is uh, coming later in the show. But for now, just HCS Kansas City. So, we got our LAN. First true LAN since the Raleigh Major back in December. And I am very excited because have the full have the full um casting crew back. Got Bravo, Clutch, Gaskin, Goofy, Onset, Puckett. Thank oh thank God we have Puckett. Uh Shirzy, Shyway, why not? Walshy, good. Uh Lottie and Blaze. Thank God we have Puckett. I, I I love Puckett's casting. He was he's good on Call of Duty. He's good on Overwatch. Dude is good on every game he does, and he's he's very good on Halo because it's where he got his start. But let's uh, now that now that more of the teams are set, not not everything because you know um, still don't know who the four open bracket teams in each group are going to be. But let's, uh, oh, completely forgot about this. 
shout out to Pioneers. Like, these guys, they're in Pool D, so they're, thankfully, they're already more than, they're already mostly qualified for what is essentially their own event. But the the Royals boot camp has been, like, one of the coolest bridge building between traditional sports and esports things I've ever seen. And they're scrimming in what looks like the club level of Kauffman Stadium, which that's got to be a weird place to play Halo because the chairs didn't look all that comfortable. And there's some big ass windows. <laughs> and Kauffman Stadium does not have a lot of overhang. It, it gets a lot of direct sunlight. <laughs> and there's a fountain in, I think, left center field. There's some glare. I know there's a fountain there. I don't remember if it's on the right side or the left side of center field, but I do remember. I do know it's there. <coughs> Actually, I think it wraps through all of center field. But anyway, there's a fountain there, and that probably causes some additional glare. But still, the the event I have lovingly dubbed the "fuck you, Cloud Nine Boot Camp," <laughs> because Cloud Nine is the only even kind of competent team not invited to this thing. Like, they're the only team that's not there. Basically, all of NA's top teams, and I think a few others, I think a few international teams are also there. I think, like, Ascender there. I think, uh... Who else is, who else is there? Let, let's check, uh, let's check the Twitter. Okay, so it's a couple it's a couple non-North American teams. I think it's because uh, Navi are EU, Quadrant are EU, and and that's it. There's only Oh, and and uh gamers first. Um are they I don't think they're NA. I don't think they're NA. I think they're Is G one G one might be an NA team. I am not, I am not entirely sure. I think they're NA, but they're, they're also playing in the, they're also playing in the open bracket at, uh, at Kansas city. So I don't actually know yet, but I, I feel like, I feel like they might be EU. That, that just G1 gamers first just a f feels like an EU team name. And the, the rest of the rest of the teams are are all North American optic phase E United Sentinels G2. Yes. G2's halo team is NA. I was, I was not previously aware of that, which I think is hilarious because like, actually so is fanatic. Fanatic is also NA. Why are they not at this thing? That's weird because they are also the, the North American ninth seed. Which, again, it's hilarious that uh, that North America is guaranteed nine teams at this event. Like, EU was guaranteed four out of the EU super. Mexico got th Mexico got two. Uh, Austra and Australia, New Zealand got one. Chiefs esports, which a, a team called Chiefs playing in Kansas City, but being. Australian is uh, is kind of funny, but let's let's uh, and 
but shout out to Pioneers for this event, and shout out to Royals for shout out to the Kansas City Royals for going along with it. Royals, God, the Royals, traditional sports naming conventions, for going along with it and giving all of these guys customized City Connect jerseys, because out of the ones that have been revealed so far, other than the Nationals Cherry Blossom jerseys, which are on a level all their own. The Royal City Connect jerseys have been the best so far. <laughs> like, the Astros is pretty cool, but the Royals is is significantly better. And of course, Nationals, theirs will always be the best. All 30 could come out, and I will still think theirs is probably even better than the Orioles, which uh, I, I don't know what the Orioles is going to look like. I feel like it's probably going to have a lot of Maryland flag to it. But let's, uh, let's get to the actual predictions. We will start with Group A. Group A, um, Ascend, Cloud9, Team from the Open Bracket, Chiefs Esports Club, and Xset. Um, I don't think Xset are actually all that good. When, when, compared to, uh, when compared to Cloud9. I don't know who this Open Bracket team is going to be. Uh... I will assume I'm working under the assumption that probably three of the four open bracket teams will end up being North American. Just, just an assumption feels like I'm probably right. One, just because of uh, ease of travel since this event is in Kansas city, Missouri uh, seems like a place. that's not exactly easy to get international flights into seeing it, it seeing as it's uh, smack in the middle of the country. Like, right smack in the middle of the country. Doesn't seem like the easiest place to get international flights in and out of. Unlike unlike the coasts. Because I feel like it's very easy to get flights from Europe to New York. Boston, Philadelphia, D.C. Heck, even BWI, because it's right there. Reagan International. Dulles. Atlanta. Orlando. Because... It's a tourist destination. And meanwhile, Kansas City. <laughs> there aren't even, there probably aren't even that many direct flights from within the U.S. to Kansas City. <laughs> probably not a whole lot of direct flights. There's probably like one a day, maybe two out of every airport except airports in Texas. And maybe maybe Atlanta flies there a lot just because they're they're a hub city. But just by virtue of location and ease of travel, I'm gonna guess at least three of the four teams that come out of the open bracket are going to be North American. I don't know who, but I feel like Luminosity has a pretty good chance just by virtue of being Team Incognito, because I feel like even before becoming Luminosity, Team Incognito had a very good chance of getting out of the open bracket because they're one of the best North American amateur teams. Uh, this is not me being biased at all. I swear version one could also do well. How they do in groups all depends on what group they end up in. <laughs> but let's, let's actually look at group A, who we have here. Uh, Ascend... Probably going to finish second because I think they are better than X set. They're, they're better than chiefs. Uh, they're, they're quite possibly the best European halo team ever. 
which uh, not saying much because a European team has never placed higher than top six at an HCS event, which the HCS is not that old, but I, I'm assuming this record includes the history of MLG as well. Yeah, uh, a European Halo team has never placed higher than top six at an event. I don't think that's changing. I think they I think they finished top eight. But that that's about as good as they can hope for. Uh, sorry, EU fans, you're not that good at Halo. Uh, the easy one, uh, Cloud9 is winning this group. <laughs> I, I don't care who this open bracket team is. Cloud9 is better than them just by virtue of being Cloud9. Uh, Chiefs Esports, I know next to nothing about them because the Australia time difference is hell. So I am not watching uh, Australia, New Zealand, HCS. Just, you know, on principle of I don't hate myself. I, I don't like I like Halo Esports. I don't like Halo Esports enough to destroy my sleep schedule. If if there is ever a major hosted in Australia, New Zealand. Like, like if we ever get a Melbourne major, like if we get a Melbourne major next year, I will stay up to watch that. If we get a Melbourne major or a, a Berlin major, I will stay up to watch those. Uh, North American teams will probably still win both of those events, despite being away from home. Uh, North American teams still win those, still win those hypothetical events that have not been confirmed by HCS. But honestly, I'm going to, I'm going to say this open bracket team finishes third. Cause I feel like they're better than Xset, whoever they are. Cause it's going to be one of the top four. It's going to be like SSG or luminosity or one of these other, one of these other good teams that just, didn't perform up to par at Anaheim and don't have, and didn't have the HCS points to get the North American ninth seed. I, I think, I think you're going to see like an SSG or a complexity or a luminosity in this spot. And honestly, I think they finished third behind ascend. I'll give X set fourth because they are North American and they're not better than Ascend and they're not better than whoever this open bracket team is, but they are better than Chiefs. North America is better than Australia at Halo. And I like dunking on Australia because they like to act all high and mighty, but they're really not. So, God, I, I shouldn't say that. I got mad at Ben Simmons during the NBA segment, so now I'm just gener like gen generally pissed at the entire country of Australia. But yeah, that's that's my pick is Cloud9 Ascend, whoever this open bracket team is, because no matter what, they're better than Chiefs and Xset, Xset Chiefs. Uh, group B, this one's interesting because <laughs> uh, there are a lot of good teams here. You have Optic, Phase, the NA ninth seed who... Uh, Halo Esports, the Halo Esports wiki has not updated. The NA ninth seed is in fact Fnatic. Uh, Navi and another open bracket team because there will be four of them, one in each group. Same thing as group A. Uh, the winner of this group is pretty freaking clear. It's the green wall. It's optic. 
It's it's the best team in North America right now with the roster they should have been from the very beginning. And then I would say like Optics winning this group, they're they might drop a single map to phase because, you know, they're not in the same group as Cloud9 or Pioneers, the only teams who have given them any kind of issue the past few months. <coughs> so, yeah. Um, or And they're not in the same group as Sentinels. We'll get to Group D, because I see this one being very interesting. But Group B, this one probably shakes out the easiest. It goes Optic 1, Phase 2. Uh... Honestly, open bracket, mm, no, Fnatic. Fnatic 3, open bracket team 2, whoever they may be. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna call them version 1 for now because I, I think that's who might be in this spot. Uh, version 1, 4, and Na'Vi last. I know they're a partner team. I know they got the budget, but they just... They just didn't really impress me all that much at Raleigh. They... They weren't amazing there. What what was their what was their finish at Raleigh? Yeah, where the heck? Your pro series. Um, I know they were there. Were they not there? <laughs> they had to have been. Why are they not? Did they not? Did they not even qualify for Raleigh? It was an open bracket. How did they... Did they not even get out of pool play? Uh, I need to check this. Good lord. Because Raleigh was four months ago at this point. Um, let's, let's, just, uh, let's just take a look. Let's just take a look at something here. Because... Uh, offline events, Raleigh. Uh, how did they... They got in. Did they do anything? Yeah, they went one and two in their group. And then, oh, they lost to, uh, they, they lost to SSG in losers round two. They actually made a decent run. And then they got, and then they got beat up on by face. <laughs> they, they, they made an okay. They, yeah, they played, uh, they played a team called Foot. They swept them. They had a decent run at Raleigh. Or, yeah, Raleigh, but... Eh. Got 3-0'd by FaZe back then before they got better. Yeah, I I don't know. And they haven't, they haven't been all that great lately. Like, what were... What were, uh, let's look at some of their events, because I will admit I have not followed the EU scene all that closely. Well, they finished second in the Super, they finished fourth. They've had mostly top four finishes at their, at their last few events, but I don't know. Like, Europe is so top-heavy when it comes to Halo talent, and they're in a tough group. They're, they're, they're honestly in 
in what I consider a pretty tough group. Not as tough as Group D. Group Group D is the best group at this event. Uh, C is also interesting, but they're they're just going up against uh, teams that are much better than them. And then it's and then it's a fight for fourth, fifth between Navi and whoever this uh, whoever this second open bracket team is that I am currently assuming is version one. Because I think I think Group A is uh, Group A is probably Luminosity. Group B, we'll say that's version one. I mean, I'm making just ass pool predictions here. But yeah, uh, Optic. The the important thing, Optic is winning this group. Phase is coming in second. <laughs> uh, group C. This one is also interesting because. This is another one with multiple partnered teams. Uh, group B has the most with, what, four? That's that's about half of the partnered teams, because I think there's nine of them. Yeah, there's nine of them. Uh, group C is interesting to me because I really don't like E United. I don't like the way they play. I, I don't like slow-paced Halo play. It just feels wrong. Like it feels wrong on a fundamental level to play Halo slowly. And G2 have been significantly better on LAN than they were online. Like how'd they do how they do it how they do at Anaheim? They they finished top six at Anaheim. They finished, uh, why the heck does it not show Raleigh? Why the heck does it not show Raleigh on their, on their events? Uh, they did not do that great at the, the last open series, but they were also, no, they were playing, they were playing with their full roster. They finished top six at Anaheim. They they've done okay. I don't really know how to feel about them. E uh, United are E United are better than them. E United have have made it further at basically every tournament they've played at. Yeah, they finished they finished top six at the Face Clan Invitational. They finished third at Anaheim. But Anaheim was weird because, you know, no crowd, North America only, and no crowd tends to favor their slow pace of play. But as much as I hate to admit it, I think they still win this group. Uh, G2 comes in second. Uh, Quadrants from EU, they're they're finishing fourth behind basically a guaranteed NA team because... Let's be honest, probably all four of them will be North American. Europe is Europe is just too top heavy. The the European teams who are going to do well at this event are already in groups. Let's be real here. The the European teams who are going to do well at this event are Ascend, Jlings, Navi and Quadrant, and even then they probably won't do all that great cuz Jlings is uh J-Lings is in the Hell group. <laughs> group D 
firmly the group of death uh, solely because of two teams. But Pittsburgh Knights are decent, and I feel like whoever this fourth open bracket team is is going to put up a fight. But this one's the most interesting to me because I think it's the only one that doesn't have a clear winner. Like, look at every other group. The clear winner of Group A is Cloud9. The the clear winner of B is Optic. The clear winner of C is E United. The clear winner of D is probably Sindels. But you you can't count out Pioneers playing in front of their home crowd after they just fully ingratiated themselves into the city by hosting what has been a very popular event with the Kansas City Royals. Like, I think, uh, I think Pioneers fans are going to be making close to as much noise as the Green Wall. I mean, the Green Wall are everywhere in North America, and they travel very well. Look at the Rocker Major as evidence. But they did get drowned out by the Trigir. And yes, I am sticking to that name. I don't care. Until version one comes up with one themselves... And establishes is yes, this is the name we have given our fan base. I'm calling them the Trigger. And version one, I will, I give you that name for free. Just, you know, maybe at least give me an interview for that job I applied for. But yeah, group D by far the most interesting, just because pioneers and sentinels are going to be battling for first place. Whoever wins the match between the two of them, whoever, because groups are, groups are double round Robin, right? Are groups double round Robin? Because I could have sworn they were. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks, uh, Halo Esports Wiki for not telling me. If groups are in fact double round Robin, let's, let's go back and check. No, they are not because <laughs> they were not at Raleigh. They were, they were just single round Robin. You play everybody once, but these groups are five teams instead of four. So maybe, but no, I think it's, I think it is in fact, uh, I think it is in fact, single round Robin. Uh, whoever wins the series between Sentinels and Pioneers wins this group. Uh, the other team comes in second. Uh, followed by mystery North America team that comes out of the open bracket, uh, followed by Pittsburgh Knights in fourth and Jaylings in fifth. Now this is very much overextending, but let's, let's have some fun here. Um, Optic Cloud nine is the grand finals. Your top four is Optic Cloud nine Sentinels Pioneers. There's your top four. Top six, or top eight, Optic Sentinels, Cloud9 Pioneers, Phase. Phase G2. One random open bracket team that goes on a hell of a run, possibly SSG. Ascend. G2. There's your top eight. Actually, no. Uh, E United are in there somewhere. Uh, Yeah, E United instead of G2. So yeah, there's there's my prediction for top eight. 
I'm probably very wrong. That those picks were slightly biased because I don't really like United. As as much as they've done good things for the community, I I just don't like United. I don't like the way they play. But yeah, that's what I got uh, for the HCS. Oh, and another piece of news. I got confirmation from Tashi himself, who is effectively the commissioner of the HCS, that anyone can co-stream HCS games. So uh, that's why I'm not doing the other rounds of the NFL draft, because I will be doing the Kansas City Major all weekend. Work schedule pending. I don't know what I'm working on Sunday yet. Hopefully it's not during the finals. <laughs> Hopefully if I work on Sunday at all, it is earlier in the day than, uh, than later. Cause I'd like to, uh, I'd like to co-stream grand finals, but, uh, yeah, at the very least, uh, most of the action on Friday will be co-streamed on my YouTube channel. Uh, link will be in the show description, much like for the draft tonight. And if you're listening to this on Friday, uh, I'm probably live right now. But that's what I got for the HCS. Up next, we're uh, we're sticking to esports. North America's MSI representative has been crowned. Uh, the MSI field is complete, but I don't want to talk about that yet because we're still about two weeks away. Actually, exactly two weeks away from from the event. Actually, a little over two weeks because I think it starts on the tenth. Or no, a little under two weeks because it'd be uh, two weeks from yesterday, two weeks from Tuesday. So we're, we're still about two weeks out from that. So uh, don't want to talk about that just yet, but we will talk about the LCS Spring Finals. That's coming up next here on The Mashup. All right, LCS time. This is going to be a little more rapid fire just because uh, I, these games are over. So I have, I have nothing to really predict and both wins for EG were straight up dominant. <laughs> They kicked the crap out of Team Liquid on Saturday and then went and did the same thing to 100 Thieves on Sunday. They 3-0'd both of them. Danny is a freak of nature. And yeah, EG are going to MSI. And at first, I was like, ah, dang, 100 Thieves aren't going. I kind of figured they they were our best chance to... They were our best chance to win. They've been the most consistent team all spring split, like all this other stuff. <laughs> and I just realized that Danny's real name is not in fact, any variant of Daniel. His name is Kyle. That's, <laughs> that's hilarious. Cause I have, I have their roster in front of me and it's got his real name. Um, yeah, it's a, uh, it's something because I didn't expect EG to do this. I knew they've been on the come up the past like year, basically mostly on the back of Danny and Vulcan because again, Danny is a freak of nature on ADC, possibly the best American born ADC ever, which considering the two people in competition for that title are sneaky and double lift. That's very impressive. I think double lifts a little bit better than sneaky, but I think Danny is already on track to have a better career than double lift did mostly because I think he will have more international success than double lift did. He's definitely already had more domestic success than double lift did at this point in his career. 
Cause, uh, cause didn't it take double if like five years to win a domestic title <laughs> of any variety? Meanwhile, he's been on EG for a year. He's been on the full roster for, for less than a year. He's, he's, this, this is straight from the Legapedia wiki. Uh, he has been on the EG big roster, main roster, for 11 and a half months. He was officially called up on May 14th of last year. He was, uh, he was called Shiro at the time. And he changed his name to Danny when he got uh, called up to the big club, which, again, very weird because his real name's Kyle. But hey, he already has a domestic championship, which is more than you could say for double lift at this point in his career. He doesn't have any international gold yet, but NA has never won international gold, so you can't really hold that against him. Because even the first Worlds, when it was just EU versus NA... Fnatic won the thing. They are, you know, firmly an EU team when it comes to League of Legends. And I was just talking about them as a North American team in Halo. But they are... I still consider them EU, even though they they have some North American rosters, i.e. their Halo team. But, yeah, they're, they're, an, they're a European org. But I was upset about this, and then... Some people whose opinion on League Esports I very much trust uh, pointed this out. There are three North American-born players on this roster. Two Canadians and an American. The one American is Danny. <laughs> but, you know, shocker, his name's Kyle. I mean, the, ki- the, the one Canadian's real name is, is Joseph, but the other one is Philippe. That, that's Vulcan. <laughs> if you couldn't tell, he's French-Canadian. But this EG roster, like, EG was crap in a lot of games for a long time. And I know they're considered major villains in Dota. But meanwhile, in League, they're like the ultimate heroes because they were underdogs the entire playoff run. Like, they were underdogs to Liquid. They were underdogs against 100 Thieves. They came through the loser's bracket. Like, they're major underdogs compared to, like, the biggest villains in Dota for an entire year a couple years ago. But, hey, they're the ones going to MSI, and I have to say, now that I've thought about it, the fact that there are three North American-born players on this roster, you know, a majority, is is good for the health of the NA scene in, a long, in the long run. Like, it's going to prove to these other orgs, TSM, that you don't have to overly rely on imports. Reggie. Can't tell I really don't like TSM. But these three guys, like, they're North American born. They're really good, especially Danny. They're, and I think they'll make some noise in MSI. Do I think they're going to win? No. Early prediction, I think that goes that distinction goes to T1, because Faker wants his Grand Slam. You know, the one thing that's never been done in League Esports. So he's gonna so Faker's gonna go out there, he's gonna do it, and then he's gonna ride off into the sunset 
because he has accomplished literally everything he will need to accomplish. Three MSIs, four world champions, and over 20 domestic titles. You could just ride off into the sunset knowing you're the best player of all time, but more on that in two weeks. But, yeah, I was I was upset at first, but hey, gotta give them credit. They committed to the... Uh, they committed to the idea of having, having North American, having a uh, having a North American roster or a primarily North American roster because Inspired's Polish and Impact, despite having NA residency, is Korean. Like he's an NA player because he's been here forever, but he is still, he is still Korean. But still, like. A guy who's been in NA long enough to get residency, even though he is an an import, like that's still because a lot of times, once guys get residency, they become more coveted because they don't count against the import rule. But at the same time, that also means they've been here for like five years, <laughs> and the hot new thing is just sign signing the guy who hasn't had a great season in the LPL or the LCK and bringing him over because oh, he can speak English, but does not fit with North American culture at all and is absolutely miserable. Sword art. Again, TSM. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think they'll do well at MSI. Don't want to go into too much detail other than that because uh, that's a discussion for two weeks from now. But yeah, congrats to EG on a great win. Uh, congrats to... Riot Esports US on, or NA, on hosting an awesome event in Houston. Uh, it was great to hear crowd react, like big crowd reactions to League of Legends moments again. Like that incredible Danny Berenstiel into a pentakill against Liquid on Saturday. Like that was the moment of the entire weekend. Where, where even though I didn't want to admit it, I kind of knew like, oh crap, EG's winning this whole thing. Like they're going to be LCS spring champions. But uh, yeah, that's that's what I got for the LCS. Up next, we'll uh, get into what most people consider the best episode of the Halo series by far, episode five, and uh, and my opinion of it. It's coming up next here on the Mashup. All right, I know when you're listening to this, episode six is already out, but. Who cares? I want to talk about this one because it was really freaking good. So we only had two stories this time, even or two locations this time, even though we had multiple POVs. Like, you still had multiple POVs between Chief and Miranda and Halsey, uh, Kai, Quan, and Soren. There's six different POVs, but you're only in two locations. First four are on Aridinus, and Quan and Soren are back on Magical. And not a whole lot happened there. It was just them kind of road trip comedying. Like she, the whole she doesn't want to be there. He handcuffs her to the stolen bike. He runs off. She tries to break free. Like. Not a whole lot happened there. Definitely the much more interesting stuff was happening on Aridinus. 
at the excavation site of the much larger um, Forerunner artifact. Uh, we'll call it the Keystone for now because, or the Keystone's a smaller one, but I don't know what this thing is called. It's just, it's just a Forerunner artifact, a really big one. It's and it's clearly not like a Halo ring index. Those are always kept on the ring itself. So I don't know what this thing is. But clearly it's important because one, it's massive. And two, it has a secondary piece that is the first artifact they found on Magical. But this is that that's where most of the interesting story happened in this episode. Like the Quan Soren stuff was fun, but it didn't progress a whole lot of plot because it was just the two of them in the desert. Again, road trip comedying. Like on a Riddness, you had you had some like actual story progression. And you had some great interactions between uh, uh, Chief Miranda and both of her parents, which we have never seen in a game because uh, none of them have ever been in a game together. The only two of these three characters who have ever been in a game together were Keys and Halsey, and they never shared a scene. Halsey was a an important part of the story of Reach, and Keys was there at the very end when you take Cortana to the Pillar of Autumn in like the ultimate fan service moment of Halo Reach, a game that was already really good, at least in terms of the at least in terms of the campaign. Like that was the only time any of any combination of this family has been in the same game. Because Miranda wasn't introduced until two after her father was dead. Like she was introduced receiving his posthumous colonial cross. And like tearing up a little bit, at least in at least in the Master Chief Collection anniversary version, where the the facial animations were significantly better than in Halo 2. And her and Halsey have never been in a game together. Because the only games Halsey has been in were Reach 4 and 5. Actually, no, she wasn't in 4. No, was she in 4? She was mentioned in 4. I don't remember if she was there or not. No, I think she was in 4. Been a while since I played 4's campaign and it was very forgettable. But Miranda was already dead. And she just wasn't in Reach. So the two of them have never even been in the... She's never been in a game with either of her parents. And considering the importance to the story, at least the two women had... Like, Keys was only important to the first game story. And then, like, Miranda came more... Miranda and Johnson were much more important in 2 and 3. And uh, Halsey was important in Reach and then 4 and 5. Because of the whole, you know, Cortana's going crazy thing. But we finally got to see the two... I know it's not the same versions of the characters, but we finally got to see them actually sharing scenes. Like, I know they've had scenes together in books. I never read those books! Only Halo book I've read is Fall of Reach. And, like, Keys and... Jacob Keys and Halsey had scenes together there. Um, clearly, I didn't know there were other things going on. But uh, they were, in fact, happening. 
Because, you know, Miranda exists. But got some very good interactions out of the three of them. Uh, Key's shutting Miranda down because he doesn't want her involved. He doesn't want... He doesn't want her getting hurt. He doesn't want Halsey interfering. Like, all of these things. Uh, he doesn't want her being a puppet. And that's that's something him and Halsey agreed on. Which, got a great line from Halsey. This is the first episode where she doesn't look like a total bitch. Because <laughs> in the first four, she really did. She has genuinely looked like a terrible person. Which she is. But they portrayed um, Parangoski as much worse in this episode, the little bit you see her. Uh, clearly a manipulator, much like Halsey. Possibly even worse. And let, let's, let's talk about the controversial scene before we get to the actual good stuff at the end of the episode that everyone agrees was good. Except, you know, the really anal fanboys who just hate everything about this show and everything 343 does. Um, yeah, that scene happened. Cort this version of Cortana has a kill switch. Yeah, she's implanted directly into Chief's brain as opposed to being a chip that goes in the back of his helmet that is then linked to his neural pathways. Like, she's implant. You saw the operation. She's She's not in a chip thing like she is... In the game, she is implanted directly into Chief's brain. So it makes sense that she has a kill switch. Especially when... The Cortana program in the games was, like, exclusively meant as a Spartan battlefield assistant. Rather than a Spartan control technique. To, like, keep control of them. Like, property. Which, again, this much worse version of the UNSC and this much worse version of Halsey would do something like that. I know it's not part of the main canon, and if main canon Cortana ever went along with it, it would be really dumb. This is a different timeline. This UNSC is much worse. Which is saying a lot, because the UNSC of the games and the books also isn't great like just go listen to hunt the truth my god but now that's out of the way i didn't hate it it made sense for this version of the canon like oh no cortana has a kill switch if you actually watch the entire show it makes sense i had no problem with it watching it in the moment because it, it made complete sense but now let's, now let's get to the actual good stuff at the end of the episode where you just got a big-ass Halo fight scene. Uh, first time we saw the Jackals, really. I think, I think so far we've only seen Elites. And we may have seen, like, a grunt or two in the background. And we, and we saw a little bit of, like, a hunter leg. And we saw the, the worms coming out of the armor. Like, we, I think we've only had mention of grunts and maybe seen one in, like, a background shot. For the most part, like, the Covenant we've seen have been elites. So, seeing a crap ton of jackals and uh, seeing energy lances instead of energy swords, which, um, to all the haters, they are, in fact, canon. Did not know that, but they do exist in the uh, in the books. 
uh, and jackals do carry them, which again, it makes sense. Like they carry shields anyway. Why wouldn't you give them swords? Like when jackal skirmishers exist, why wouldn't they also have a melee weapon meant for their hands? Because they couldn't use a normal energy sword. Like that thing is, that thing is kind of that thing is designed for Sanghealy use. Mostly because I think they created it themselves. Like the energy sword is designed for Sanghealy use, not for not for really anyone else to use. Spartans can use it because they have enough fingers. But like Sanghealy only have three fingers. They have a thumb and and two like fused fingers when compared to a human hand. So like a human could hold one of those, thankfully, because you can use them in the games. And I'm glad you can. Because you couldn't in Halo 1 and it sucked. But obviously just got a big ass Halo fight scene. It the sound of everything was great, as as always in this show. Uh the Phantoms, the Spirits, uh the the few banshees that we saw. Uh <laughs> Chief just straight up doing a Banshee hijack. Not all the way, but pretty darn close. Just doing a Banshee hijack was was very cool. And, like, he clearly cares about Kai. Because uh, he knows she took her, her hormone pellet out. And uh, tried to keep her off the missions because she wouldn't be thinking clearly because she hasn't adjusted to having emotions for the first time in 30 years yet. But, uh, yeah, it's, um, it, it's clear. He definitely has feelings for her. At least that's the vibe I kind of got, which again, makes sense because she is based off of Kelly and there was always an implication of that. Maybe not so much in Halo 5, because the character work in that game was not good. But more so in, like, expanded canon in the books. Like, he was definitely closer to Kelly than other members of the Spartan 2 program. Even other members of Blue Team. Like, he was always closer to Kelly. Like, the two of them bonded. He was always jealous that uh, that she was taller than her when they first met. <laughs> or that uh, she was taller than him. When they, uh, when they first met. Cause you know, six year old boys are jealous of that kind of thing. And, uh, he would like, let's be honest. He was definitely attracted to her as, as they got older. Cause they grew up together. And it seems like Kai is kind of filling that same role. I don't know why they didn't just make them Kelly, Rebecca and Fred. Cause they're filling the exact same roles Kelly, Rebecca, and Fred did in any story about Blue Team. At least that composition of Blue Team. But that that fight scene was awesome. It was a Halo fight scene. Chief was kicking ass. Uh, he was... It was a little weird that he was back to following Halsey's orders to the letter again. But it also kind of makes sense because him trying to attack her was just a moment of absolute rage for obvious reasons. And then you see, uh, and then like he wants to protect those Marines because I think, I think it was pretty clear in older forms of expanded canon that 
John probably would have grown up and joined the military anyway and probably had a very successful career as just a normal soldier or, or Marine in the UNSC Marine Corps. Like, he would have had a very successful career. He, he probably would have been a super high-ranking officer <laughs> had he just joined the Marines willingly. Because everything we know about his, like, pre-Spartan 2 personality, like, natural leader, very protective of people not as strong as him. Like, dude probably would have joined the military anyway. And when the entire human race is at war and on the brink of extinction, there's not many other options. Like John would have joined the military anyway. And they're making that abundantly clear in the show. Like he probably would have joined the military willingly had he not been kidnapped as a six year old and forced to join the military as part of an experimental super soldier program. And of course, at the very end, not only do we get our first look at the Jackals, we get our first look at Brutes in in show form. And uh, yeah, there, there are two theories. I've only seen one online and the other one is just mine because it was my instant reaction in the show when, when watching the show last week. And I think they both have merit. That Brute is one of two characters. I don't think that Brute is an original character to the show. I think that Brute is either Tartarus or Atriox. My my initial reaction was Tartarus. Mostly because he, he won the hammer. Like, his hammer looked a lot like Tartarus's hammer, and he used it the same way where later versions of the Grav Hammer were just used as an offensive weapon to like swing with extra force and knock people backwards. Other versions of the gravity hammer have never pulled stuff to them. Like, like Tartarus is did. Uh, it's much bigger than the halo three gravity, ha halo three and beyond gravity hammer that is usable by players. Like he uses it as a magnet essentially. And that's, that's how Tartarus always used his version of the grav hammer in halo two, the one that the one that players can never use, obviously because, uh, he died in the last mission of the game. And I think it's a nice like balance of, Oh yeah. Tartarus was the first brute we ever saw in the games. Like, because you have that back and forth cutscene of chief on Cairo station and Arbiter on High Charity, the celebration versus the trial. And, like, you always see Tartarus there, and he's the one who does the brand on the Arbiter. Like, well, he's not Arbiter yet, but he will be, like, a day later at that point in the story. But it's... That's why I think it's Tartarus, because, one, the hammer, and two... It would be a nice poetic reflection of, yeah, Tartarus is the first brute we saw in the games. And it would be cool if he's also the first brute we saw in the show. But the other theory that it's Atriox uh, obviously also has, has, some, has some weight to it. Like, he didn't have 
Tartarus's silver silver fur or the mohawk. I mean, obviously, the brute design in two was different than the brute design in three and beyond. But I feel like even if they would have given him like the Halo three style armor that covered more, like he still would have had that that standout silver fur, and he wouldn't have worn a helmet. Like you would have, you would have still been able to see that that like mohawk fur main thing Tartarus had going on. And, uh, and the other big one, as far as I know, Atriox is a creation of 343. Tartarus is not. Tartarus is a creation of Bungie. Which doesn't really mean much because they control all of Halo canon now. And, like, they remastered Halo 2 into Halo 2 Anniversary for the Master Chief Collection. So they like they also own the rights to Tartarus, but I feel like that would be a thing they would do is just make just replace him with Atriox. Just kind of combine those two characters into one in the show timeline. To one, get people interested in, oh, who the heck is this Atriox guy? And oh, he's the main villain in Halo Wars 2. I'll go play Halo Wars 2. And then he dies in the opening cutscene of Infinite and we Get uh, Eshram instead. <laughs> uh, don't get me wrong. I love Eshram. I think he's a great villain. But, you know, Atriox came first, even though he's younger. So, what do you guys think? Was that Tartarus or was that Atriox? And am I just completely off base for actually liking the Cortana kill switch thing? Or just this episode in general? Because... I've seen other people say episode 5 is the best episode so far, so I know I'm not alone in that opinion. But that's what I got for this episode of the mashup. Hope you all enjoyed. Uh, hope you come by for the NFL Draft live stream or the Kansas City Major co-stream over the weekend. But uh, that's it for me. Talk to you guys next week. See you then.